Excited Utterance, the Evidence and Proof Podcast, Episode Number 88, Yohonatan Givati, Preferences for Criminal Justice Error Types. Welcome to Excited Utterance. I'm your host, Ed Chang from Vanderbilt Law School. Excited Utterance is your podcast for cutting-edge scholarship and developments in the world of evidence. We bring virtual workshops to you throughout the academic year. This week, our guest is Yohonatan Givati. Yohonatan is professor at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem's Faculty of Law. Yohonatan teaches courses on tax and law and economics, though his scholarship also includes articles on proof, judicial decision-making, and policing. Our podcast today features Yohonatan's new article, Preferences for Criminal Justice Error Types, Theory and Evidence, which was published last year in the Journal of Legal Studies. In it, Yohonatan asks a question whose answer you might think is initially obvious. Should the legal system worry more about convicting the innocent or letting the guilty go free? On this score, you might be reminded of the classic Blackstone ratio, that it's better for 10 guilty to go free than that one innocent be wrongfully convicted. Using some interesting data, Yohonatan shows that the answer to this question is actually not so simple. Not only do some people not subscribe to the Blackstone ratio, but some people, a not insubstantial proportion in fact, worry more about letting the guilty go free than convicting the innocent. For these people, false negatives are more worrisome than false positives. Yohonatan explores who these people are demographically and tries to explain what might motivate our preferences for false positives versus false negatives. He compares results from 22 countries, and the results are at times both surprising and illuminating. Yohonatan, delighted to have you on Excited Utterance. Welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Your paper asks a really fundamental question. Is it worse to convict the innocent or is it worse to let the guilty go free? Now, I'll admit, before I talked to you about your paper, if you had asked me, I would have thought that the answer was obvious, that everyone agreed that convicting the innocent or type one error was worse. And that's why Blackstone had to impose the more stringent criteria of letting 10 guilty go free to protect one innocent. But your paper suggests that not everyone actually agrees on this. And we'll get into the details in a minute, but to start, tell us a little bit about that conclusion. Are there really people out there who worry more about letting the guilty go free than convicting the innocent? Yes, I think this is a great question, and it's one of the things that drove me to write this paper. But the idea is that often in law school, when we talk about these things, we kind of assume that convicting the innocent is much worse than letting the guilty go free. But we never actually look to see what people actually think about this. So, yeah, one of the contributions of this paper is trying to look at data and ask people, what do you think? Is convicting the innocent worth letting the guilty go free? And what I find in this paper is that actually there are 
at least often a minority, but still some people, it's a significant minority of people who think that letting the guilty go free is worse than convicting the innocent. How large of a minority are we talking here? Yeah, so in the U.S., it's about 25% of the population, which I think is a pretty large minority. In some countries, there are exceptional countries, but in some countries, the majority of the people think convicting the innocent is not as bad as letting the guilty go free. So let's say in South Africa or Taiwan, the majority of the people think letting the guilty go free is worse than convicting the innocent. So I think that's interesting in and of itself, just to see that there's such variation in views across countries and within countries. Tell us a little bit about how you did the study. How did you manage to measure people's preferences on this point? Yeah, so what I did in the study is basically, at least focusing on the U.S. in the beginning, is I used data from the General Social Survey, where people were asked this specific question. They, they were asked, all systems of justice make mistake, but what is worse, convicting the innocent or letting the guilty go free? So people are asked directly about their preferences for these two types of error, type one error, convicting the innocent, and type two error, letting the guilty go free. And they say which is worse from their perspective. And this is how you get some direct evidence about these preferences that we often just assume. And similarly, just like the General Social Survey asks this about people in the U.S., there's another survey called the International Social Survey Program that asks this from people across countries. So we have these preferences also in other countries, and we can use that to compare it to the U.S. and also look within countries what shapes people's preferences. Does the data go back a long time, or how many years do you have of this? Yeah, this is, a, this is a great question. So actually, in the general social survey in the U.S., and also in the international social survey program, data, the question has been asked already since 1985. It's not asked every year. So in the case of the U.S., we have this for 1985, 1990. And 1996, 2006, and 2016. So it's a lot of years. And you could see some, look at this over time, where the people's views change over time. It's a repeat cross-section. So we can follow the same people over time, but we still can see if there's some trend over time. So I think it's a question that's been out there, but it hasn't been used for research for some reason. Now, I have to ask, what led you to do this study in the first place? I think it's fair to say that usually we don't bother to collect data and to start a study on a question when the answer seems obvious. And as I kind of prefaced my remarks, originally I thought that the answer was obvious. Did you have an intuition that people might disagree on this issue? Were you surprised by the results? So I think I was very surprised by the result. Uh, seeing significant minority of, uh, of people in different countries think that letting the guilty go free is worse than convicting innocent was quite surprising. I got into this data. I'd actually, I came across this data when I was in graduate school. I was doing my PhD at Harvard in economics, and I was writing a paper that was more theoretical, trying to understand why we have different plea bargaining regimes in different countries. So in some countries, it's plea bargains are more commonly used than other countries. And I was trying to explain this variation. I was looking for some fundamental, maybe cultural attitude that could explain this variation. 
And I was basically looking for some data and I came across this question. I was surprised that this question has been around in these surveys for so long, but no one has used this data to try to look at what people actually think about this. So let's get a little bit into the detail on the results. In the paper, you developed basically a theory about what might cause people to have different preferences between type 1 and type 2 error in this context. Tell us a little bit more about that theory. Yeah, so I basically developed two theories in the paper which tried to explain why, what explains these variations in preferences across individuals. So one is perhaps the more interesting one is the instrumental theory of preferences. Here the idea is that people choose their preferences because these preferences somehow affect their lives. Basically, there's a trade-off that people think about when they think about these preferences. So one is people think about their individual risk of crime. And they say to themselves, well, if the justice system really cares about and not convicting the innocent, but it lets a lot of guilty people go free, then I'm going to suffer from crime because there are going to be a lot of criminals on the street. So maybe I don't want the system to go all the way and be very averse to convicting the innocent. On the other hand, if the system does not care a lot about convicting the innocent, then I'm also personally concerned that I'll be convicted or perhaps my family members will be convicted. So basically, people trade off these two risks, the risk of crime and the risk of conviction, And this is how they choose what their preferences should be about convicting the innocent versus letting the guilty go free. Yeah, so I guess this is one theory. And from this theory, you could learn uh, about people shaping the preferences depending on the risk of crime and the risk of uh, conviction. The people who are very concerned about crime will say, well, I'm not as concerned about convicting an innocent because it's very important for me that criminals will not be on the street. But if you're personally very concerned about being convicted, then you'll be very concerned about convicting the innocent. The second theory is the intrinsic theory of preferences. And this theory basically says that people have just intrinsic views about what is the proper value here, convicting the innocent versus letting the guilty go free. And this is independent of the instrumental effect of these preferences on themselves. They just think that it's really bad or it's really good not to convict the innocent or not to let the guilty go free. In short, I think that Those two theories break down along the lines of who you are, meaning where your position is in society, and then where you are. So a lot of these intrinsic values often depend on where you grew up or the environment in which you grew up, so cultural norms. Do the theories bear themselves out in the data? I would expect that, for example, women might have different preferences and certain minorities as well. Yeah, so I do think that there is some support in the data for these two theories. So I think the strongest evidence for the instrumental theory of preferences is my finding that women care less about convicting the innocent than men. This is true in the U.S. and it's actually true across countries. And it's not obvious that women would care less about convicting the innocent because women generally in the U.S. and most Western countries tend to be more liberal and liberals, as I'm going to say later, care more about convicting the innocent. So the idea that women care less about convicting the innocent, I think, is quite interesting. And I think once you think about this through the instrumental theory of preferences, it makes a lot of sense. So women are, relatively speaking, not as involved in committing crime, but are, relatively speaking, more involved in being targets of crime. So they would care more about the risk of crime versus the risk of conviction. And people who care more about the risk of crime versus the risk of conviction 
in this under the instrumental theory of preferences would care less about convicting the innocent because that doesn't affect them and more about letting the guilty go free because they're very concerned about a lot of guilty people being on the street and then suffering from crime. So I think this is the best, at least the strongest evidence that I can master, at least for this instrumental perspective of preferences. With blacks in the U.S., I think it's kind of an interesting question under the instrumental theory, because blacks suffer from crime, but also suffer from conviction. So they're often targets of crime and targets of conviction. It's not obvious what they would care more about in terms of the instrumental theory of preferences. What I find in the data is that blacks, relative to non-blacks, care more about not convicting the innocent. So I think this is also interesting, because uh, if we adopt the instrumental perspective and analyze these results through that perspective, it may suggest that Blacks are more concerned about being convicted than suffering from crime. So I think that's also kind of an interesting finding that this could be interpreted through this instrumental prism. One thing that strengthens this view is the idea that I focus also on young Black males, and I find that even more than Blacks, they care more about convicting the innocent. So they're more concerned about convicting the innocent, more than non-Blacks, and more than other Blacks that are not young Black and male. And the fact that uh, young Black males are specifically targets of crime and also targets of conviction, again, supports this idea that maybe Blacks care more about being convicted than about suffering from crime. So I think this is a very interesting finding. It at least from my perspective, and can be interpreted through this uh, instrumental theory of preferences. I find some evidence also for the intrinsic view. So I think the strongest evidence for the intrinsic view is the idea that liberals care much more about not convicting the innocent. So I think the idea here is that this is not driven by some instrumental effect. This has been controlling for race and gender and income and other education, a lot of other variables, I still find that liberals care more about convicting the innocent. And I think it's easy to interpret this as kind of an intrinsic view about caring about not convicting the innocent. I also find that education is positively correlated with his concern about convicting the innocent. And I think this, again, is more easily explained as an intrinsic view with people that attend universities either are educated to think this way or just select universities if they believe strongly that convicting the innocent is much worse than letting the guilty go free. So I think these two pieces of evidence are more consistent with the intrinsic theory of preferences. You also find some really interesting differences in culture. You alluded earlier in the interview about Taiwan and South Africa. Certain cultures have different values about guilt and innocence. In particular, you have this interesting finding about Israel and about Arab attitudes towards this question as well. Yes, so the International Social Survey Program was also conducted in Israel. And what's interesting is that I was looking for some minority group to compare to blacks versus non-blacks in the U.S. And I thought Israel would be a good place to focus on because there's a natural minority group in Israel of Arab Israelis as opposed to Jewish Israelis. And the survey basically was conducted both with Arabs and Jews in Israel. And I think it was interesting to investigate this question. And one thing, so if you recall, in the US, I found that blacks care more about not convicting the innocent than non-blacks in the, in the US. In Israel, again, comparing Arabs to Jews, who are the ma majority in Israel, I find the opposite. I actually find that Arabs care much less about convicting the innocent than Jews. And one interpretation for this could be under the instrumental theory. Perhaps 
Arabs are concerned with under-policing. There's some media attention recently in Israel to, to this question. So maybe they're just much more concerned about crime, and that's why they're willing to let more innocent people convicting, as long as we don't let the guilty go free. So that's one interpretation. But because the effect is so large, Arabs are 25% less likely to think that convicting the innocent is worse relative to Jews. So I think this suggests that there could be also a cultural factor that explains this variation. And again, just like I did in the U.S., I tried to look at young Arab males, just like as I looked in the U.S. to young black males. And in the U.S., I found that young black males were specifically more concerned about not convicting the innocent, which made sense from an instrumental perspective. But in Israel, I do not find that young Arab males are any different than the rest of the Arab population. So again, this is more consistent with this idea that there could be just a cultural difference about looking at this question from a different perspective because of just a different culture that views these errors in a different way. I know this is not the primary aim of the paper, but I'd like to hear more about what you think the implications are for your results. The academic literature, as you said before, is basically assumes as given that convicting the innocent is far worse. Does this suggest that we academics are out of touch? An example that I have is evidence scholars often puzzle over how law enforcement and the courts seem less concerned about wrongful convictions than we think that they should. Might that actually be that law enforcement and courts are actually less concerned about wrongful convictions? And here I should cross-reference my conversation last season with Larry Rosenthal. Yeah, I think this is an excellent question. I could think about a few policy implications. So first, I think this raises the question, do we want courts and the judicial system more generally to reflect the values of society, or do we think they should be independent of society? So to the extent, for example, we see that in some countries, the majority of the people care less about convicting the innocent and more about not letting the guilty go free, do we want the court system to be different there than in countries where the views are reversed, where the majority of the people care more about not convicting the innocent? So I think it's kind of a fundamental question that we don't think about enough in law schools. So I think that's one interesting question. The second question is, uh, to the extent we care about having a society where people are more concerned about not convicting the innocent, what can we do to affect these preferences? Do we want uh, a very certain, that, for example, reducing crime could be important, not only because people are going to suffer less from crime, but also because it may have a positive effect on how people are concerned about not convicting the innocent, to the extent you find that people are more concerned with crime, care less about convicting the innocent, that maybe we should reduce crime also to affect people's preferences in the right direction to the extent people think as a normative matter, you should really care about not convicting the innocent. Lastly, I think it also raises, I'm thinking about the paper with another person I'm, I'm writing about, it also raises actually questions about jury selection. I know this is not the focus of this paper, but it does show that different groups in society have just different preferences, and to the extent these preferences affect how they view the world and how they balance these two error types, it could suggest that the composition of the jury could affect not because of some specific bias that they have, but because they just may have the fundamental different view about these two error types. It's a good point about the jury selection. I wonder whether this wisdom 
has already made its way into people who do jury selection. They select people who are more concerned about the type two, the letting the guilty go free. And, you know, we academics have just been in our caves and not realizing that that's actually going on. Final question for you. What's next for this project? You did mention the jury research. Are there other future directions that you plan to take the research or perhaps future work that you'd like to see others do? Yeah, I think this general approach, I think, is interesting. Looking at the values that underlie our legal system, I think, is a question that is interesting in and of itself. We often just assume that there are certain values that we all believe in, but we don't spend enough time thinking about, do people actually think this way? What makes people think this way? I have a follow-up project that also looks at this fundamental question. Is there a duty to obey the law? Do people believe there is a duty? Most philosophers think there is no duty, but when you ask people, you actually find that a lot of people think there is perhaps an absolute duty even to obey the law. So I think generally looking at these fundamental values that shape our legal system, I think it's an important question that I don't think lawyers spend enough time on. And I think it's a fruitful area of research, at least from my perspective. Well, Yohanatan, thanks for taking the time to talk about your really surprising study on people's preferences on the different types of error. I think you've certainly given me a lot to think about, and I suspect many of our listeners as well. Great having you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. One striking thing about Yohanatan's results is just how much we as a society seem to disagree on a basic value of the criminal justice system. The trade-off between type 1 and type 2 error is, of course, fundamental to any system of decision-making. And that trade-off drives choices that we make about procedural rights, the behavior of police, and the burden of proof. Naturally, you would expect that people might disagree about exactly where the line is, but what Yohonatan shows is that the disagreement is far from a marginal one. For some people, the question is not whether the Blackstone ratio should be tweaked from 10 to 1 to 8 to 1. Instead, for a significant portion of the population in the United States, and indeed for a majority of the population in some other countries, convicting the innocent, however bad that is, is not as bad as letting the guilty go free. And however unreasonable you might have initially thought that position to be, if you drill down, you can see the logic. Leaving the guilty unpunished is itself a serious injustice. And instrumentally, it leaves the criminal available to commit future social harms. Once we recognize this countervailing attitude, Behavior that once seemed obstructionist or mystifying becomes less so. Objections to increasing defendant rights or increasing the reliability that we require of various forensic techniques now make more sense because the opponents may be worrying, and legitimately so, about what such reforms do to our ability to prosecute the guilty. In a sense, once you say it that way, this observation is almost obvious. But that's the mark of a great paper, revealing an insight that seems obvious, but only in retrospect. 
Finally, I think there's much wisdom in Yohanatan's broader project about legal assumptions. We lawyers pretty much all come from the same cultural tradition of being lawyers. We go to the same schools where we are indoctrinated with similar legal values, and then we form social circles in later life with other lawyers. So it's not surprising that we might end up making assumptions about what everyone thinks, particularly on legal issues, that are simply not true. Exposing such mistaken assumptions is often one of the great services of the academy, since it forces us to think in new ways and to consider the alternatives. Support for Excited Utterance is generously provided by Vanderbilt Law School's Brandstetter Litigation and Dispute Resolution Program and the University of Arkansas School of Law. The associate producer is Alex Nunn, and the production editor is Grace DiPietro. Additional production assistance is provided by Francesca Rutherford, and music is provided by the Vanderbilt University Blair School of Music's Children's Cello Choir under the direction of Kirsten Castle Greer. Thanks also to the Faculty of Law at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, who is hosting me this semester. I'm your host, Ed Chang, and I hope you'll join me again next time when we take on another new work in the world of evidence and proof. Thank you.